I've spent the last 12 years attempting to build the ultimate clinic gym hybrid facility where we offer advanced sports chiropractic and the ultimate in exercise progressions. Now I've sold that business and decided to take the plunge to create a massive change within the world of chiropractic. My goal is to get a hundred other chiropractors to completely revolutionize our industry and provide exactly what we want our patients to experience while helping to double our profits and maximize the license that we're given. But the real question is this, how can we create this massive change without becoming sleazy salespeople or doing crazy marketing efforts? This podcast has the answers. So follow along as I learn, apply, and share the information from the best minds out there into this Clinic Gym Radio. I'm Josh Satterley, and I'm happy to have you here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, and I'm excited to be your host, by the way, uh, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am honored today to be joined by Jenny DeZubla. Jenny, how are you? I'm terrific. Thank you for having me today. Hey, fantastic. I'm, I'm glad you're here because I think you're going to make all of our listeners uh, tons of money and save them from tons of embarrassment. So no oh, pressure. So. Yeah. But uh, can you tell everybody kind of what your background is and, you know, why I, I, I was killing to get an interview with you? Absolutely. Well, we met a few weeks ago at, or was it just a week ago, at the Perform Better Summit down in Long Beach. Uh, and It was only I, like a week ago, but it feels like much longer because your heart <laughs> is pinging, right? The recovery period. And so my background, I, after college, I went right into marketing and advertising. And so I spent about eight years working at a few big advertising agencies, in the project management and operation space in Chicago. I've seen Mad Men. There's a lot of drinking and cussing. Yeah. There, there is. It's not so much like that, but there's still quite a bit. All right. And so I'm from Chicago. I born and raised there, was living in Chicago for a while, and then I made the move out to California back in 2015, still working in the advertising space. And Throughout that time, I had actually also started coaching CrossFit in 2012. And so that was something that I was moonlighting as outside of my full-time job. And I absolutely loved it. It wasn't something that I wanted to pursue full-time, but it was a terrific balance for a corporate gig and being able to coach and interact with a motivated group. So when I moved out to California, someone that I had met through CrossFit, there family owns a communications company and they teach people how to speak as well as you think. And so since then, long story short, I have made a career transition into communications coaching, uh, mostly how to better present in front of groups, whether that be over your computer screen or live standing up on a stage. So now I'm doing that full time. Uh, it's still coaching CrossFit and What's funny when I think about how I got started as a communications coach, I am a total introvert, right? And so it's almost ironic that I found my career in teaching people how to speak. Well, uh, that's funny. You know, uh, what's, oh, man, what's that gal that helped uh, Al Gore put together? Nancy Duarte. Yeah, she's got a, a great company. And she says that she's an introvert as well. And she said the best presenters usually are introverts because they're so scared of what they're going to say that they practice it a thousand times. And they like natural born salespeople that are extroverts just think, ah, I've got some notes on a cocktail napkin. I'm I'm good for three or four hours, you know, and they just get up and, but they don't get anywhere. They just ramble on. Yeah, exactly. I think though, a lot of people think that the extroverted personalities that there's, they're people who just 
get a natural high from sharing their ideas and their voice has that punch and they always want to be the center of attention. And those who don't feel like that in social situations, I think automatically discount themselves from being able to present well, or they don't think they would be able to when in fact, it's really just a learned skill set. And you could be absolutely terrible and then be the greatest speaker in the world. I mean, it's, it's possible. It's just really just like with anything else that you have to learn that's a skill set. It takes time and practice. It's, it's very similar to like exercise. The, uh, the, the, the people that were athletes their whole life and then they get into something like CrossFit do very well early, but then they plateau quickly. Whereas the people that are like, I've never really worked out. I mean, I remember this woman, Whitney, at the, the gym I went to. She's like, I've never worked out my whole life, but she was just like a plotter and just every day got better, got better, got better. Three years in, she was the strongest woman in the gym because she never took anything for granted. She never assumed she was good. Exactly. The early people that, you know, early women that could do eight pull-ups like on their first day, now they're only doing 12. And here's Whitney going from no pull-ups to 20. And it's like, huh, weird how that works. Yeah. And I love that you said that because the same goes with communication. We all have the ability to speak and we do it every day. I think I read a statistic that you spend 70 to 80% of your waking hours in some form of communication. And that's a lot of time, right? Like when we're not essentially, when we're not communicating, we're sleeping. And for something that we do all of the time, people just think that we're naturally good at it, but Mm -hmm we're not just because we're able to do it doesn't mean we're good at it. And it's kind of like choosing not to practice how to be a good communicator or presenter is like choosing to crawl instead of walk, right? You're just choosing the slower path and we can both crawl and walk, but why wouldn't you take the path that's more efficient? And I mean, that's it. So it's, Anybody that, although we can communicate, it doesn't mean that you're good at it. And it's still a skill set that needs to be developed, especially if your job or your passion involves you wanting to spread your ideas. Yeah. Well, I love this because you're talking to somebody in my mind, I have some great ideas. And uh, every day, only four or five times I shove my foot in my mouth with them not coming out quite right. And uh, especially when it, you know, I mean, my wife could probably attest to the fact that I've, uh, said some things that, you know, I, as we're walking into the dinner party, I get the slap on the side of the arm, like, Hey, I like these people. Don't screw this up. You know, that's her way of uh, coaching my communication. So maybe you can give me a little specific skill set rather than the don't be an asshole, Josh version I get from my wife. Yeah, I would love to. And before we joined, we talked about, I gave a presentation a week or so ago and it was specific to some of the common presentation mistakes that I see most people make. And this is just general. So it doesn't matter what you do. Right. Uh, these just apply generally to communicating a message across any forum. And well, then you made a great point. Like anymore, like we're in an age where the information's out there. Like there's so much information on anything, right? Like, like I'm going hunting this fall. And so I was just looking on YouTube, like how many videos are there at getting more accurate with aiming my rifle, right? There's like 20,000 hits. Okay. And that's just a tiny little niche Hell, half the country hates guns. So we eliminate all of them, right? And we're going to this tiny little niche. But what you said that totally makes sense is you're, I don't think anybody anymore is going to win the, I have more information game. Like it's not a, a, a volume issue anymore, but you can always win on the engagement side of things. And if you look at somebody like, I mean, you said CrossFit and you're, you're in the Bay area, Kelly Starrett, right? Exactly. None of his stuff was 
groundbreaking. None of it was new ideas. None of it, most people go, oh, I already know that stuff. Right. Except that that dude delivered it way better than anybody else and made it exciting. And I don't, last time I checked, he's done pretty well for himself. He's doing okay with the mobility wad because his delivery was top notch. He was entertaining. Exactly. He was funny. He engaged great guests sometimes versus, oh, I'm just going to put out a bunch of information. It's like, this is dry and boring and it sucks. So right. before we get into the pure tips, uh, you and I were at a, um, the three-day Perform Better Summit. Lots of great information. Again, it wasn't an information game. But can you go over like the, I mean, I'm sure that there were points where you were watching and just like squirming in your seat like, oh, Jesus, this is so bad. I, I can't even believe it. And I've been to those too. But can you give like, what were the three biggest things you saw people doing there? You don't have to name names unless you want to and make it really entertaining. But if you want to just tell us like, what are the three things you saw where you're like, this person is losing the crowd and therefore losing money, losing popularity and losing impact, whatever it is. Yep. First and foremost, so I've been to two Perform Better Summits and the biggest thing that I see is that the presentation slides that the audience is seeing while you're presenting are always the same ones that are in the handbook that the audience gets. And so this is that, one of those where it's like, show up, here's your, here's your uh, printed out version of the slides so you can take notes or you can circle and, exactly. and everything. Okay, now why is that a problem? Well, if my audience can sit there while I'm speaking and read the slides for themselves and essentially get all the information they need from what's written on the slide, why the hell am I there? Right. What do they need you for? Right. It's almost insulting that I'm there just reading them my content. Right. When in fact, as a presenter, you have, there are three components to what you should have. You should have the slides that the audience sees. You should have your notes for the slides that only you see. And then you have a handout. And when you get up there at, on stage, you say, I've got you a handout that has all the details of what I'm going to talk about. I'll give it to you after I'm done. Now, all of a sudden, all the pressure is off the audience to have to take notes the entire time you're speaking and you've got their full undivided attention. So what you're saying, the common mistake is the slides that I'm presenting with and the handout in a rookie, they blend those two. They make the slides on the, uh, up in front of the room the, also the handout and that's totally wrong. There is a huge difference between a good oral presentation and a well-written document, and they should not be the same thing. Right. Okay. So anytime you're going to give a presentation, doesn't matter what form it's on, you should have two versions. You should have one that the audience takes away from your presentation, and you should have another that cannot stand alone, and it absolutely requires you to walk your audience through the content. So it makes you very useful. Exactly. Which is why they showed up, which is why they're listening to you. Right. If you, yeah. I mean, if you're paying big money to go see someone speak and they put up slides and it's 15 bullet points of full sentences, why am I paying oh money to go see that person speak? Yeah. Well, it's like uh, you go to, even in college, right? They're like, oh, this is a required textbook. You don't just like, that's not it, right? You, you still have an instructor in the class. Like there's a reason. You know, the person acts as an interpreter, as an encourager, exactly. makes sense of it. If it was just buy this textbook, read it, like, okay, I can do that in the first two weeks, but I don't get college credit for that. Exactly. All right. So that's first. So don't be a rookie. You have, say it again, Jenny. So you have your notes that you read. So, so you have the slides that the audience is going to see. Okay. Your presentation slides. You mm -hmm. have the notes that only you will see. And so if you're using PowerPoint, there's the notes section underneath. Yeah. And I use that for myself if you want to just. Yeah. Cause you're an introvert. Exactly. Yeah. I need. <laughs> I've all. got it written on my hand. <laughs> like. <laughs> and then the third thing is you have a handout for the audience. Okay. 
and you tell them that you have a handout. You don't give it to them early because then they're going to pre-read and you don't ever want someone to pre-read. You just tell them that they're going to get all the details of what you speak about after you're done. And there, you've got it. You've got their eyes the entire time you're presenting. And now you can add color and flavor to what's up on the screen. And like you said, you become the interpreter of the information. Because it's actually, it is extremely difficult to learn something if you are verbally giving someone the same information that they are also reading on the screen at the same time. So I can guarantee you that if you've got 20 slides of 10 bullet points of sentences, your audience will walk away and they might not remember a thing. Yeah. But if you show them a huge picture, that's maybe an analogy to what you're talking about. And then you add all of the color and the context as to how this applies to what you're speaking about. They will very, they will remember and walk away with a feeling of connection and, you'll have a much greater chance of them remembering what you even talked about. Right. All right. I mean, you think about the news, the news is supposed to be transmitting information. They don't put up tons of text, right? It's all video and pictures. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. You think about like an Apple marketing presentation, Mm -hmm. right? They're just, they're usually very plain slides, black or white slides. They have an image. And if they have text, it's maybe five words. Yeah. And again, they've done okay for themselves. Apple. Exactly. And we're as a human, we've, We've evolved with stories, right? Humans, you can connect with people by weaving a narrative and connecting what you're saying to people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And the only way you do that is through storytelling and pictures are a visual aid to storytelling, but you should be the one telling the story. Right. Okay. Not the bullet, not the bullet points on your slide. Yes. All right. So bullet points, bullets kill, they kill stories and they kill presentations. And they You kill can people. use bullets, but there are some principles, which when we get into, uh, when I go through that a little bit later in our talk, I can speak to more specifically. All right. So, so the first thing is that now second uh, pet peeve or annoyance that you saw all throughout this uh, three day event. Yeah, I think this can be maybe weaved into one, but basically the, the look of your slides. And so I saw a few slides. I think they were white background with a, like a neon colored text. Love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't see a word on the slide and the right. presenter was amazing, very engaging, a ton of energy, the content, like you said it, I mean, the content's not in question at these things. The speakers are there for a reason. Yeah. But it is extremely frustrating as an audience member to not be able to see what's on the slide because then the whole time I'm having a difficult time paying attention thinking, what am I missing that I can't read on that slide? Mm -hmm. People don't care how flashy your slides are. I mean, I think about Mike Boyle's keynote and I mean, he, it looks like he maybe put the slides together in 10 minutes, but it doesn't matter because the spotlight is on him and he's telling an amazing story and his slides complement his words. Whereas you get someone, they spend all of their prep time for a presentation, designing all of their slides. The audience doesn't care about that stuff. They want to see legible text, very little, but legible text on a large size. And if you're using pictures, they need to be clear. And in no point in your presentation should you have to say to someone in the back of the room, hey, I know you back there can't see this, but Anything you're going to put on a slide, assume you should always build it, assuming that someone is like a hundred feet away from you and they need to be able to see it too. Nice. So, I, I heard one time the smallest text or the smallest font you should use should be twice the, if you take the oldest person in your room, multiply their age by two, that's the smallest <laughs> font you should use. So if you're, if you're talking to 65 year olds about retirement, you know, you need a 130 point font and no smaller. <laughs> 
And I need I, to write that down. Maybe I need to do a roadshow with you, Josh. <laughs> um, now, uh, so, so pictures and clarity, you know, it's funny you talk about Mike Boyle's presentation. The one slide I remember out of his thing, his keynote was <laughs> a big picture of Todd Durkin working with um, <laughs> LaDainian Tomlinson and Mike picked out a wicker chair in the background of yeah, the picture, exactly. right? Now that would have totally flopped if you couldn't see the wicker chair, which was already in the background. But isn't it, isn't it amazing that you remember that? And I yeah. remember seeing a picture of him with his coworkers at that bar that he was yeah. working at before he started it. And that's what presenting is about. It's about giving people some visual aid, but then bringing them along in the story thread that you use your, that's what you use your words for. Yeah. And it, it is the picture. It wasn't like you couldn't put that in a, in a textbook, right? Exactly. And, and the best part is that if you follow the principle then of always leaving a handout, most people load up their slides with content because they're saying, well, if I miss something and I don't speak to it, at least they'll walk away and they maybe wrote it down because it was on the slide. Don't do that. Your presentation slides should be simple. It should be just a few slides. You do all the talking and then just know that all that additional information you want to share can be put in the handout that you're going to give right. them when you leave. Yeah. Um, so l one more pet peeve and then we'll move on to the, the good stuff here. Or I guess this is good stuff. You're just tearing people apart. But so the slides are a big deal. How about the person up front? What's like a pet peeve you saw of the actual presenter? Lack of eye contact. <laughs> of course so, a woman would recognize that. <laughs> and you would too. Most of most people, they, they know that something's off when a speaker doesn't make purposeful eye contact, but they typically can't articulate that. They say, okay. you know, it's something just, I didn't feel very engaged and they might not be able to say why, right. but we, we know how to read body language. Like I said, we might not be able to put words to it, but we know that when something feels off, it feels off because of body language. And when you get into, if you start paying attention to speakers, most speakers will do what we call scanning, meaning they look at everybody in the audience, but maybe for half a second, and then they're on to the next person and they kind of look at above the audience and they're kind of going back and forth. And in the speaker's mind, hey, I'm engaging everybody, I'm looking at everybody, but in no way are you ever connecting with a single person in your audience. And so what we teach is this skill called focus. And so when you're presenting, you need to look uh, we need to think about the presentation as an enlarged conversation. And when we think yeah. about having a conversation, we're making eye contact with individuals, right? You're out in a social situation, you're talking to one person, you're always looking at them in the eyes. Mm -hmm. That's how a presentation should be. It should be a series of multiple one-on-one -on -one interactions. And how we do that, and what's great about this skill too, is that it controls your pace of your speaking for you. So Josh, I'll have, I have a thought that I want to deliver while, my, while I'm presenting. I deliver that thought directly to you as if I'm speaking to you as an individual. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that thought. When I'm done with that thought, I pause in silence. I look and I lock in with a new set of eyes in the audience and I deliver my next thought to that person. Mm -hmm. What's great is that it's never that somebody speaks too fast when they're presenting. It's that they don't ever pause. Yeah. And so they never breathe, right? You're like rolls and rolls and rolls. And when we think about making eye contact with individuals, we're forced to pause as we look for that new set of eyes, which naturally builds in those breaks for us. Okay. And you'd be amazed at how much it eases your nerves because we're, we're really competent and comfortable mm -hmm. speaking with one person. 
So why not do that when you've got 50 people in a room? Just pick out individuals. You already know that you're good at doing it in an individual setting. So then it takes off all the pressure of thinking, oh, 50 eyes are on me right now. Instead, I'm just talking to you right now. I'm delivering this one thought to you. Everybody hears me though. I'm going to do that for my next thought. And as I pause in silence, find that new set of eyes, I deliver that next thought to a new person. Yeah. yeah if you've ever watched, uh, now that you say that, there's two people I think do a great job of this. And I think they couldn't be farther apart on the spectrum, but Tony Robbins will be in the, like on a stage with 60,000 people and there's somebody up in the nosebleeds and he does this move where he looks up to them and like, he's looking at one person like, Oh, you know, woman in red shirt at, you know, exactly. Section three twelve seat F, but somehow he connects with every single person in that place. And then everybody close to the stage and everybody in between the other person, if you ever watch a State of the Union with uh, President Obama, I mean, that, that room is set up kind of like a huge fan. And he looks at some point all the way left. And then he looks all the way right. And he looks everywhere in between, it, which would be, a, and that's pretty tough in a room. You know, you typically the sides get cut off, but he's able to pull it off. And he's a fantastic uh, orator. Like he can deliver a message like no other. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. And when... So the space obviously matters, right? If you're up on stage and you've got 500 people in your audience, it's going to be very difficult, especially if lights are on you, to, to see a set of eyes. And so instead at that point, you, you want to almost section off the audience. And instead of making eye contact with individuals, you just choose sections to focus on. Yeah, same, it's like with concept. women. You choose sections to focus on. Like here's a tip. Focus on their shoes. And then focus on their face and ask about their shoes. You can never go wrong. And as a tip, don't ever focus on sections in between those two. Yeah, no comment. Keep it stupid, simple, right? Or simple, stupid, however yeah. that goes. That works every time. Like, oh, are those no sh new shoes? No, but thanks for asking. Okay. Yeah. And, and two, if you find yourself that you're just in meetings a lot, let's say mm -hmm. there's only eight people in a meeting, doing this is a, is a really great way to ensure that your audience pays attention because... Think about yourself in a meeting. If you know the speaker at some point is going to make direct eye contact with you and you're sleeping, you're going to feel bad. Yeah. Or anybody with, you know, any moral compass right, will feel yeah. a little bit of guilt for not paying attention. And so it forces your audience to be paying attention to you, knowing that at some point you're going to come and look at them in the eyes. That's, it's the difference between like a video conference call and a audio conference call, right? Like when you're on an audio call, if it's just a phone call and there's 18 people in it, I mean, you can hear people in the background are putting together their fantasy leagues, they're feeding their dogs. And, you know, if they're engaged at all, most of them are just, you know, it's a multitasking time. But when you're on a video call, all of a sudden, like you have to pay attention because there's eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this eye contact skill is actually the one skill that um, you won't be able to do unconsciously as you get better at it. It's the one skill that throughout your entire speaking, however long you're presenting mm. yourself, you'll always need to be consciously doing it. And a very creepy, but uh, good tip that I have for people to practice eye contact. So if you're practicing your presentations at home and you don't want to practice in front of a person that you know, or you don't have a group of people to practice in front of, go to Google and Google set of eyes and print out a set of eyes. It's just a, uh, a horizontal snapshot of just a set of eyes, print out mm -hmm. a few of them, fold the paper in half and place them in a space that you're practicing your presentation in 
And while you're practicing, engage with each of those sets of eyes as if they were people in an audience. Wow. It works. And hope to God you don't have a... Yeah, just hope nobody sees what you're doing. Exactly. The cops don't come to interview you about the neighbor next door or something. You're like, hello. Maybe put them in a safe when you're not using them. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we'll be right back with our interview with Jenny Zubla after this. Hey, I'm excited to announce that Clinic Gym Radio now has a sponsor. For those of you who have listened to my show long enough, you've heard of Dr. Bobby Mabey and Dr. Kevin Christie. In fact, it was their podcast that started my podcast, right? Basically. Well, I'm excited that they have set out to really help practicing chiropractors flourish in their career as a chiropractor. And this works perfectly with the clinic gym hybrid model because having a successful clinic is paramount to having a successful hybrid. And Dr. Maybe and Dr. Christie have started the CSA circle, the Chiropractic Success Academy circle. And I'd like to ask you to take a look at it. If you just head over to membership.csacircle.com, you can check out their program, which I think is the best program all around to help the practicing chiropractor really develop the best clinic they can develop. So they focus on four areas, the clinician, the business person, the producer, and actually the doctor. So not only are they looking at treatment diagnostic skills, but they're also looking at you as a business person. If you're out there forging your own path, building your own business, and going through all the difficulties of being a business owner, then they will definitely be able to help you out. I really like that piece, by the way. Sure, the producer and the clinician and doctor are important, but I really like the idea of helping you have that success mindset that so many doctors forget or or lose as they go through the trials and tribulations of practice. I know there certainly were tough times for me, and man, I am glad that they are working with people. So their program... Uh, changes every month that updates new information they have a very active online community and they put all the parts and pieces together for you to be a successful chiropractor in today's market so once again go ahead and check out the chiropractic success academy at membership.csacircle.com and i i really think that this will help you reestablish or establish your clinic as a as the driving engine that really fuels your clinic gym hybrid And that's exciting to me because then you'll have some massive success. So once again, check out membership.csacircle.com. And then we will head back to the interview with Jenny Zubla right now. Thanks. These are all great tips. You know, uh, so that lack of uh, eye contact, I think is huge. Or or what drives me nuts is in a big room, a big long room, like a perform better. They have these fairly long skinny rooms. They're kind of rectangles, you know, Mm -hmm. lengthwise. And I always hate how like the first two rows are fully engaged and then the other 450 people in the room are forgotten. You know, it's just like, you just don't feel like you're, you're part of it. Uh, it's, it's an information delivery. It's not a, a, a speech, but exactly. man, when you, when you see somebody great, like Todd Durkin does a good job of en- engaging the entire room. I mean, he's walking up and down the aisles, walking across, pointing at people, uh, great gaining that eye contact, like you're talking about. And it, it totally changes. I can't tell you what he talks about, <laughs> but it makes a huge impact, which is what he wants, you know? Yeah. And so in terms of positioning too, that's a great point. It's, it is a great idea to, to use the space that you have to walk around. However, you don't want to do that until you clear all of the content on your slide. Because at some point, if you're working a space like that and you're walking around, you're going to get in the way of somebody who's looking at your content. And so Uh as a speaker, you always want to position yourself if it's possible. Let's say you're looking at a screen. You, the speaker uh-huh. should always be to the left of the screen because our eyes read left to right. 
Okay. So if you're speaking, you want your audience to be able to look at you and make it very easy for them to then read the content on your slide. Always clear all of the content on your slide. Then a great tip is if you hit the B key on your computer, if you're in presentation mode, it will blank the screen. And then if you want to add color and use the space and walk around and engage with the audience, do it with the screen blacked out so that they're not distracted, right? Then yeah. all the attention is back on you. You, is- you clear the information on the slide. They don't need to look at it anymore. That should be how they redesign, you know, the little uh, wireless like remotes. Yeah. Instead of a stupid laser, which is distracting. Oh, yeah, don't ever use the, the laser. Don't, yeah, that should be the, the laser. Team, right? Oh gosh, we need to tape everybody's lasers off. No okay. lasers. So there, there's Jenny's tip number four, ultra secret. Uh, unless you're in space in a space <laughs> battle with aliens, no freaking lasers, right? No, using lasers is like the equivalent of using all of those fancy twirling animations in PowerPoint, right? It's completely outdated. And just because of the way technology and screens look now, they're almost more difficult to see. Mm-hmm. If you need to and use the laser to point something out, just simply use verbal cues. In the top left corner on that chart, you see this. In the bottom left, highlighted in yellow, right. you see this. Yeah. It was that, that was fun, you know, yeah. I mean, the laser also distracts them towards the screen and away from you, right? You right, never shine exactly. a laser on yourself, yeah. So if I redesigned the remote, I'd put the laser, the laser key is always the biggest. I'd make that the blackout button. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you could use that more often. Then it would be like, hey, I'm engaging you as a you person. You should edit this out and go with that. Yeah, hmm, maybe we'll have to come up with a new product. All right, so uh, what, uh, what else can you tell our, our listeners here? Because... Basically what you're saying, and I, I'm a hundred percent behind you because I think people negate, even if you're in a small gym and you're like, Hey, I'm doing a, um, a challenge and we do a weight loss meeting every Tuesday night to check in on the weight and, you know, talk about tips for, for, uh, losing weight. Even that with like four people in front of you is essentially a presentation and your skill set needs to be as good as if you're presenting in a large group. And sometimes people are like, oh, it's just four people. It's like, dude, that your uh, batting percentage, your sales percentage in a small group is going to be way higher. You could get all four of those people connected with you and they'll be your customers for life rather than trying to go like, oh, I need to go on, put together a 400 person event or something, you know? Yeah. And that's the challenge and, and that I find myself talking to people about a lot is engaging with just one person is a presentation. And if I can engage with somebody and it's a very positive interaction for them, there's a potential for a lot of business from that single person. On the flip side of that, what makes it challenging to sell people on understanding and appreciating that one-on-one communication is just as important as presenting to a group of 500 is that all of the missed opportunities they won't see if they don't present themselves well to one person it's not going to matter, right? Because they're going to never know that they missed out on opportunities. You know, and I've never met a chiropractor. So this is, this podcast is going out to mostly chiropractors who are adding a gym, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to do doing that. But now that you bring that up, I don't think I've ever met a chiropractor that collected more than a million dollars a year that didn't have a kick butt uh, review of findings, which is one patient, one doctor kind of situation. Maybe sometimes there's a spouse sitting there. But that's a one-on-one presentation. And if you nail it, that's how you get big is one at a time, not, you know, and if you don't nail it, you can't get big. Like you can do all the outside marketing you want. You're just never going to grow exponentially. Yeah. And, and really the challenge is in the first two minutes of meeting somebody. So 
there's a quote and I don't have it with me, but in the, there's a book, the naked presenter and Gar Reynolds says something about there's a honeymoon phase with everybody. whether it's one person or a group of people you're speaking to and they give you one or two minutes after that time, they've already made a judgment about you. Hmm. When you think about an interaction with somebody, how much content do you get into within two minutes? None. You've maybe done an introduction. If you're presenting, you've maybe gotten through your agenda, but that's it. And so what is it that people are making a judgment on? They're making a judgment on our physical appearance Uh or how we present ourselves physically. Uh And they're also making a judgment on our vocals. Uh And those two things make up what we call in my industry, executive presence, which is a completely unapproachable word. And the executive thing, I think, uh, alienates a lot of people, but it's just for anybody. If you don't look strong and confident and sound compelling all within the first two minutes of meeting somebody, you're going to be digging yourself out of a hole the rest of that time and not even know it because people don't share that judgment with you. Yeah. I have a friend and he's a police officer and he says that they teach him that when you arrive on a scene, you by your presence have to establish order. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it and they call it the primacy effect, but if, if you don't do it in that it, first yeah. two minutes, you will never get anybody to comply with what you need. And he says, and the problem is that cops get run over all the time. So that's why he said, if you go to like a domestic violence uh, situation, that's why they wait for a second cop is they need to fill your doorway. Even though there's only two of them, they want to fill your doorway with uniforms. So your, your thought is if, if I don't comply, I'm going to have a flood of people in here mm-hmm. because he says, if you go and you turn sideways and you act small or kind of hide behind the door, He's like, you'll never, ever be able to tell that person how to do what, what to do. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you're saying about, uh, you know, that presence in the room. People want to be led. They want to be led when you're talking about it, whether you're talking nutrition or injury repair, or in your case, you know, how we're going to launch our next marketing campaign at Facebook or whatever, you know, you're working <laughs> with these huge clients. No, you're absolutely right. And those first two minutes being so important, if you haven't been objectively evaluated as a how you communicate or present yourself, you have, you're just going to fall into old habits and communicate the same way all the time. And so my advice would be get someone you trust or hire a coach to work with for a few sessions, just to evaluate your presence, your physical and your vocal skills, let them teach you a few of those skills and then use them every single day. I use these skills when I go to the grocery store, when I'm checking out, I always make sure to reference the cashier's name I look them in the eyes. I speak to them when I'm standing in line waiting for something. I always pay attention to what are my arms doing, right? Are they crossed in front of me? Because that is a body signal that I'm creating a barrier between myself and somebody else. If you start to pay attention to all of the the times that you're interacting or standing or presenting yourself and what your body and your vocals are doing, you're going to be blown away by how many subtle cues you're turning people off with. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm sure when you're at Whole Foods, Jenny, and you, uh, you know, the chick rings you up for like your kombucha or whatever. She's like, yeah, that's $4. And then you just have the executive presence go, I think the shelf said two. <laughs> and she's yeah, like, oh, always, yeah. okay, I'll give you the discount. Yeah. And then I walk yeah. out of there for yeah. with $2 I pay. That's right. Yeah. You win every time, right? That's how you get rich. Saving a dollar yeah. on kombucha. Yeah. So speaking, um, speaking is absolutely what? a skill set. Yeah. I want to cover something that you just reminded me of because this absolutely is a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) If you are going to speak to small groups like Rotary Clubs and Chamber of Commerce and people are inviting you out there, everybody listening, please, I beg you, I beg you from the bottom of my heart, put together a short, tiny bio on yourself 
and forward that to the person and repeatedly tell them, here's my bio, please. You know, if they're like insistent on reading something, like I always hate when you go to, uh, these clubs and I've spoken a lot and they print off your bio from your website. And it's like, uh, Jenny was born on the South side of Chicago (laughs) and attended, uh, Lincoln elementary, uh, after which she went to blah, 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 middle school. And then, uh, following her time as the pitcher for the softball team in her freshman year. And like, now when you're saying that two minutes where you establish all that you, that that person has established with you is you are boring. Exactly. They've established it for you because they've gone on for five minutes. Well, and it's disrespectful to them because honestly, people don't come to see the speaker. They come to hear what you're going to tell them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, right? like and if, yeah. if you are going, if you're, let's say you're giving the same type of presentation all the time. If you're not redoing the organization of your slides, the content, the way the content is shared for every single individual audience you're presenting that to, you're doing it wrong. If the audience feels like they're getting a generic off-the-shelf presentation that you gave to the same group, but that was a different audience last week, they're going to know it and you're going to automatically lose credibility with them. You have to speak to the individual audience that you're presenting to and you have to learn about them. The focus is absolutely not on you as a speaker. It needs to be about teaching them something, inspiring them. And the only way you can do that is if they know that you've learned who they are and know how to connect with them. And yeah, it's like, uh, like you said, of doing. it's like expanding that personal conversation. If you go on a first date with somebody and all you talk about is yourself, you will go home with that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yourself. I mean, not the other person across the table. If you learn about the other person and ask and engage them, much higher likelihood you'll go home with that person across from you. So Yeah, and, and, it, and don't be afraid to communicate a goal with who you're presenting to, right? Like if they come in to talk to you and you, you're going to talk them through a few things, this is what I'm going to share with you. When we leave here today, my goal is for you to have learned this or to be able to apply this. Let them know that what you have an intention for them and that the all of the time that you spent preparing for them was to help them walk away and be able to use the information that you're going to give them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just an information transfer, right? Like whenever we're communicating, it's always to inspire, teach, um, motivate them to do something, change their way of thinking. And the more provocative our messages, the more engaging and skilled we have to be at delivering that information in a way that the audience, that specific audience is going to be able to yeah. learn. Yeah. I, uh, I, for a couple of years, I gave a ton of presentations at Rotary clubs and, uh, and exactly like the first time I walked in, I completely bombed because I had a presentation I delivered to, uh, a bunch of strength coaches and trainers, average age, 27 and a half. I go into the Rotary Club and average age is now, let's just reverse the 27. It's 72 probably. Yep. Yep. And uh, you and horrible. So imagine this, Jenny. So I walk in and I, I literally step into the space and I just go, oh shit. Because low ceilings, long skinny room, there's nowhere for a big slideshow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everybody's old and it's round tables, which for those of you who haven't spoke, that means half the crowd is facing away from you, you know? And so now I have a partial screen in a corner that only, I don't know, 20% of the room could see if there's, if there's glasses work for God's sakes. And I'm like, this is the nightmare scenario. And I realized how bad my presentation was because I didn't have a plan B. Basically, I, ha- I relied on my slideshow yep. to get me through. 
And I was like, oh crap, like it would be better to not even have the slideshow because now it's just a distraction to myself and the group. And it was That's exactly it. Oh my God. It was like getting slapped in the face. So like, Hey dummy, you know, you're yeah. not nearly as good as you think yeah. you are. If you go into any presentation and you can't give it without slides, that's, I mean, that's sunk, like, right? like yeah, that's it. Like every single presentation you give, you should be able to give without slides. The slides are just a bonus. Yeah. It's like the dude at the gym. That's like, if I just make my arms a little bit bigger, that chick's going to go out with me. And it's like, it's not your arms, dude. Like, <laughs> no, you, yeah, it's, yeah. you're telling a story and actually that you hit on that. It was, Oh, Jenny's got a story about a dude with no, big arms no, no, at the no, gym. No. All right, let's hear this. <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, <laughs> I have one at home. Thank you very much. But yeah, he's very uh, <laughs> he's he's a functional trainer, so he doesn't have the massive biceps and skinny ass legs. But right. Yeah. Um, but when you think about an audience, like you just said, presenting to strength coaches and then going to the Rotary Club, there's usually two types of cultures. People either fall into a data culture or a storytelling culture. It's really important to know which one your audience generally Ooh, speaking, okay. falls into, right? So data cultures, you want to be sure that your content includes raw numbers, statistics, facts, graphs, charts. But if you give that same type of information to a storytelling culture, you've lost them from the start. Right. Storytelling cultures want to hear success stories, testimonials, why something worked here and why we want to use it here. So when you're talking to somebody, even if you're not presenting, you're just communicating and trying to sell your services to somebody, think about what information they want to hear in order for you to appear credible to them and then give them that type of information. It's either usually going to be data or it's going to be a story, which is emotionally driven. Yeah, that's interesting because I went into, we did a, um, a workshop that led to a big contract with our local fire department where we were like, hey, we can, you know, do this analysis and then, and then get your guys out of pain and get them feeling good. And they were like, we lose a lot of money on the cadets in the academy. So we said, well, let's launch there, right? So half the room was these, it was like the chief, assistant chief, and deputy chief over training. So there was three of them. And then there was the, like, representative of the uh, firefighters. And like, so I didn't have enough data so the chief and the deputy chief were never moved. But I was telling the story of how great people can feel and how much better they're going to move and how they're going to feel. And the young firefighters were like, dude, we want that. We want that. We want that. And I had to go back and give a data-based mm-hmm. presentation to the HR department to show why they needed that and it was going to save them money, not just bring good vibes to the, the department, you know? Yeah. And I totally and sometimes- screwed that one up. Yeah. And sometimes that just is a matter of asking questions before you even go in to present. Who's going to be in my audience? What are their expectations? If there's two really different cultures, hey, can we split this up into two presentations? I can shorten them to 30 minutes, do 30 minutes with this group, 30 minutes with Mm -hmm. the other group. Mm -hmm. The more you can keep the audiences specific that are going to interpret that information in the same way, the better. And there's almost no time, even if it's a data culture, there's almost no place where you should put a spreadsheet up on the screen. Absolutely correct? not. No. <laughs> no. Jenny will and, and most, come out most charts and, and kick graphs you in the shin repeatedly show. if you put a spreadsheet on your screen. Yeah, most charts and graphs people show are copy and paste out of a book or a manual or a study. And really, you should be redoing every single piece of data that you're pulling as citation before you put it in your slide. Yeah. I've never seen them work. And they're like, if you look here, or I love the ones where it's like two bar graphs and they're like, you can see the difference here. And I'm like, I can't see anything there. I have no idea like how effective your program was. Like, oh, we're super excited. You're like, you're showing me a 
0.17% difference here. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Well, and in that instance, right, like use um, a metaphor and analogy of something. This is this, this would be the equivalent of, you know, sleeping two full days or something that can help them contextualize what you're saying, especially right. when you're getting into the nitty gritty details, which, yeah. uh, which a lot of people probably in your audience do that. Yeah. Nice. Sharing data is a, is a skill as well, but yeah. All right. So we're like 45, 40 minutes into this. Okay. Uh, we haven't gotten any of your seven tips. Uh, all we've talked, we've about talked about a lot of them though. Yeah. Just, so, just not in order, but that's okay. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't I have you back on for another interview where we can be more, uh, actual data driven, more specific tips. But, uh, in the meantime, if people want to get a hold of you, like you said, get an objective coach. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember, the first time I we went through a, a speaking training, they filmed us mm-hmm. and, and just seeing yourself on film, you go, Oh my God, I can't believe I looked that bad. Or I oh, did. Everyone should be filming themselves. Before yeah. And by the I way, like know. have a uh, plastic bag around for when you do vomit the first time you see yourself, it's going to be an emotional impact. You don't know how bad you are. I, I just, I'm trying to be nice there, but you don't know how bad you suck. No, not at all. You don't yeah. usually know what your legs are doing, what your arms are doing. Yeah. And women, stop crossing your legs when you speak. You look weird. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. We could talk about those things if I come in again, the specifics. But yeah, yeah. there's the one quote that I did want to share that I really love. All right. And Dale Carnegie said, there are always three speeches for every one you actually gave. The one you practiced, the one you gave, and the one you wish you gave. We want those last two to be the same, right? And the only way to do that is really give your audience the respect they deserve Mm -hmm. and spending time to learn about who they are, develop Mm -hmm. content around that, and then practice a lot and videotape yourself a lot before you deliver the presentation. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so huge. And and really anybody out there that any chiropractor, any uh, trainer, strength coach, if you're just really good at delivery, you will never be without clients ever. That is so true. Because you get away from being a commodity. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah, and we can reach hundreds of thousands of people now on yeah. social media and video platforms. And the bar is so low for the quality of presenting yourself. Yeah. This is the one of probably one of the biggest opportunities anybody has is just to simply improve these skills and you will surpass so many people in your field simply because you communicate well. Yeah. It's, there's do so it. much opportunity there. So yeah, Jenny, I really it. appreciate your time today. If people want to get a, uh, get a coach uh, and they want you to start helping them with their public speaking skills and whatnot, how can they reach out to you? How can they get a hold of you? What should they, where should they go? Can you give them some direction there? Yeah. So I work for Vautier communications and Josh, I don't know if I can give you this information to include, or I can spell it out. Yeah. I can put it on my uh, show notes. Okay. Um, so I work with people individually on presentations. I can coach over Skype or if I'm in town, I can work with them in person or we have a two day public program. That's wonderful. Uh, that's all just presentation skills. Okay. So Vautier communications is V A U T I E R communications.com. And then my email address is Jenny J E N N Y the letter D at Vautier communications.com. So it's a, uh, Hard to spell, but even harder to communicate uh, name yep. for a company that helps you get better at communication. I know. Yeah. Funny how awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, all right. I appreciate all the time and all the tips you've given everybody. I can't restate enough. Like I, I swear if you're good at public speaking, there's 
millions of dollars sitting out there waiting for you mm-hmm. to get whatever you believe in. I mean, even if you're, Hey, I want to raise money for my church. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just at church last night and they're trying to build a new Catholic um, high school in my area. And the guy up there who was presenting, he did a great job of captivating the crowd. And I bet that that speech he gave it for shoot 10 minutes in the middle of a mass was probably worth $20,000 of, yeah. of uh, donations. Yeah, you know? put, yeah, put yourself out there. If you're passionate about something, go speak about it for free to anybody. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I can't restate it enough. So Jenny, I hope some people reach out to you and, 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 uh, and just out of curiosity, what's the two days, uh, what's the two day event like? I mean, yeah, some, so, some sobbing, some sucking your thumb, but in between. No, times. <laughs> we do a lot of, it's all active coaching in the moment coaching. Very, uh, you're not going to leave crying. That's for sure. We do seven videotapes and you immediately watch yourself and we do group and coach feedback. And we go through just modules about how to look better, how to sound better, how to right. organize a better message, um, mm-hmm. how to build better slides, how to tell a story, all mm-hmm. of the, the major points of delivering any form of uh, presentation. It's a good starting point. So if you're just looking for a communications course to take, the two day is wonderful. And we host them in Chicago, the Bay area and San Diego. Oh, three great places to be. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for the time today, Jenny. And on behalf of Jenny DeZubla, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.